Welcome to Parallax by Anchor Calra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anchor Calra, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials, and interviews authors of our latest and best US cardiology review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable updates on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host, Anka Kalra, MD. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, I have the distinct honor and uh, privilege of having with me on the show today uh, Professor Seni, um, you know, he requires no introduction. He's very well known in the field. Um, he's the chief of cardiovascular medicine, the department at Pope Giovanni 23rd Hospital in Bergamo, Italy. Now, you know, for the listeners, and I'm sure all of us know, Bergamo um, is where the epicenter of the outbreak was for COVID-19 in, in Italy. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Professor Seni did contract the infection himself. And uh, as we were just uh, speaking um, on the phone uh, just before beginning recording, you know, he's going to take us through how that experience was, but um, I'll obviously have him talk more about it than, than myself. Uh, Professor Seni, welcome on the show and thank you so much for your time. I'm glad you're doing well. Thank you. Uh, bye to everybody. Thank you so much. To, to be, I'm, I'm very pleased to be uh, with you tell the story and to probably give you some advice that can be useful for how to face this terrible disease, this terrible infection. Um, yes, you know, we've been um, all watching the footage uh, that has been broadcast to the world from Bergamo and, you know, it, it, it's been disturbing to say the least, um, you know, but also just to think about you know, our colleagues uh, you know, like yourself who've uh, been at the front line of uh, managing patients, it's been gut-wrenching and it's just, it's uh, beyond fathomable to even, you know, put it in words as to what you may have experienced uh, as a healthcare worker, as a physician on the front line. So please talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, we started to have a, the first sign of infection in the middle of uh, February, but we didn't recognize it clearly how much was uh, important in terms of uh, epidemiology at that time. And then uh, in the last week of February, we had this uh, tsunami, we can call it tsunami because it was terrible in terms of number of patients that started to be positive and started to come to emergency department. And uh, we had uh, this uh, incredible wave that came. And uh, although this, uh, our hospital is quite new, it's just seven years old, and uh, we have uh, 85, uh, we are ready for 85 beds for intensive care, we couldn't uh, face it immediately in a, a some way efficient manner. And therefore, we started with the idea to create three different cohorts 
one with suspected COVID positive, and one another one with positive, and the third one with more severe advanced interstitial uh, pneumonia. But then after two, three days, we could figure out that this was not enough. So we admitted only patients with a severe uh, uh, interstitial pneumonia and uh, with symptoms. And uh, clearly at that time, we started to have beds dedicated to COVID. And uh, uh, we started with 15 beds of intensive care. And we implemented, we increased the number over the time. And now today we have 85 beds of intubated, intubated patients with COVID. And uh, at the same time doing this story, I started to have fever, and therefore I stay at home after one day. And we thought that was just a classical influenza at the beginning because it was in the middle of February, but then. Uh, they didn't get me. Uh, they didn't give me a, 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 a test, a swab, because they thought that I was. I didn't have any contact with a, a, a patient with COVID at the beginning. So uh, I, I stayed home for five days, and then I restarted, and the fever disappeared. But then, and I started to work, but then the fever started again. This is a problem of COVID. To have this fever that at the beginning is that has at the beginning maybe the same symptomatology and the same uh, natural history of influenza, the, the fever disappears, you feel better, but then some days later start again and maybe it can worsen suddenly. So I work for five days with my fever without having any swab. And therefore, I stopped at the end of the second week. At that time, I received the, the, the swab, the test, and it was positive. And it required a long time to complete your call. What does it mean? It, sometimes this, uh, this infection can be asymptomatic, other times it's mildly symptomatic. But those, is a, like in my case, is mildly symptomatic, it requires time to completely recover to have a, a negative swab. And so I think two messages should be, I think I like to give you. One is to make the swab for healthcare professionals at when they start to have also mild symptoms, fever for sure, but also some other mild symptoms like cough like uh, uh, other symptoms that are typical of influenza. Because otherwise, the risk of spreading the infection by the uh, healthcare professionals is truly high. And uh, the second one, that you have therefore protect the healthcare professionals against this. Actually, in my division, we have 12 physicians, cardiologists, that have positive swab. You can imagine how it's difficult to organize everything over the time to organize. We double the the the, the, the uh, colleague that are on duty because 
when you are called by a medicine department, you cannot be alone to take care of patients. So you have to double the, 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 the physicians that are on call because you are completely dressed with a P, so personal PPE, uh, personal protection equipment, and therefore you cannot move around if they call you for something else. And this is something that you have to remind. And uh, therefore, we move, uh, coming back to the story of Bergamo, we still have this wave. So it's, it's, a, it's a long tsunami. It's just not a wave. Hopefully, this will be not the same in your hospital, but it's something that you have to predict in somehow, and to predict what's going to this the worst scenario that you can have. Therefore, another aspect is uh, the uh, medicine that you can maybe face against this uh, disaster. And you can think about selection of patients, how which patient can receive the intubation. This is a dramatic choice that probably is not depending on mainly by cardiologists, but mainly by intensivists. But you have to think to prepare a triage for this. A triage in which they can be involved, the, the intensivists, the pneumologists, maybe also other professionists, in which you have to decide who is going to be intubated or not. And this must be, we use an hour score that probably we are going to validate that take an account of different uh, um, items, not only the age, but comorbidities, severity of uh, ventilatory uh, um, status. And just to think about which is the best patient for intubating to be intubated in terms of life expectancy. And uh, another thing that I would like to stress is how much is important the flexibility of your organization system, in which you have, of course, typical organization of hospital with different wards and uh, division, but you have to think to move around, to create COVID uh, wards in which most of the different specialties disappear and become a, a specific COVID division in which they work all the uh, physicians that are involved in medicine. It means also pathologists, also microbiologists, because with the, with the problem of uh, positive swabs, you can be alone after one month of, uh, of the disease. And uh, another aspect regarding the cardiovascular that we are facing in Lombardia region, my uh, region that has 10 million people, they decide to centralize in a different uh, uh, hub. For instance, my hospital is a hub of 1.2 million people. And what is interesting that we saw 
a clear decrease in the number of STEMI and STEMI and acute heart failure. Why? We don't know. I think no one knows right now the, uh, the current answer, probably because the patient prefers stay at home uh, with the pain instead of to come to the hospital. In particular, Bergamo has a problem that uh, we have so many patients. We have something like now 100 patients admitted every day to emergency department for COVID, for respiratory failure. And therefore, there are other explanations that can be the differential diagnosis of symptoms of this disease with, uh, for instance, acute failure, or since most of them have uh, pain, like mild or moderate pain, chest pain, they can be confused. And the physician, although they perform an, an EKG in an emergency department, maybe in the world they cannot recognize. And we have some cases of this. And therefore, we have a, a clear reduction of the number. But this is true not only for Bergamo, but also for the other cities. And uh, other explanation can be that, uh, at least in Bergamo, sometimes they have a problem to find the ambulance. Although we have a truly good network in the organization of emergency, we have, you have a 911, we have a 118, but uh, there are so many patients that are coming to emergency department due to the COVID that sometimes they have to wait for a long time on the phone calling the number, emergency number. Uh, so it's in some sense is an interesting question, it's interesting, uh, um, let's say, uh, we recognize this situation. Probably we are going to understand more in the next future. We are trying to figure out with, with other why we had this reduction. And uh, uh, other interesting aspects are related, I think, on troponin I. There are two different thinking regarding this. We are not making, we are trying at the beginning to assess the troponin I, high sensitive troponin I in all patients, but then we didn't have a clear increase with the typical wave of ischemia. And therefore, now we are doing much less tests of troponin I. And uh, what we can say so far in approximately uh, 20 cases of STEMI, this patient has an incredible rate of death due probably to the uh, uh, respiratory failure, but also due to probably this uh, inflammation, general inflammation that they have. And uh, uh, we are trying to, at the same time, this time, to make some research, clinical research, 
and alerting staff because working on the patient 14 hours and trying to make a research, a good research, honestly, it's not easy. We are trying because we do believe that this data can be truly valuable for everyone that is going to facing this terrible infection. Yes. Yes, no, um, thank you for uh, such a vivid description of, um, you know, what you've experienced. Uh, just to summarize uh, for the listeners, uh, you know, several take-home uh, points from your, dis uh, from your discussion. You know, one is um, obviously the, the issue of personal protective equipment for the healthcare worker, uh, which I think is crucial. Uh, you know, if... Uh, you are not going to arm the soldier going into a war. Uh, you're not going to succeed in the mission. Um, and then, uh, you know, the just the importance of uh, being cognizant of you know, symptoms that you're developing as a healthcare worker, because you could be the vector that is then responsible for transmission um, to, you know, not only your family members, but, you know, your colleagues, at work uh, and the population at large, because that's how the virus is spreading. Uh, and then it just becomes uh, becomes a huge problem. Uh, you know, also you have to self-quarantine yourself. So you're, you're, you're sick yourself, you're also, like you said, I mean, you, you are increasing the burden on your physician colleagues to take care of patients. You are decreasing the healthcare workforce in, in a time where you know, healthcare workforce is needed at the front line because the sheer number of patients with the with this, um, you know, lethal infection is just exponential and is all happening at the same time, just like breaking the back of the healthcare system. Um, so, you know, that's that's one message. I'm sure that's that's clear, has been clear with the experience in, in Bergamo, unfortunate experience in Bergamo. Uh, and then... You know, you really brought up a, a crucial point, which is, you know, each time there is a pandemic, uh, you know, we have to not for we should not forget, we must not forget that other disease processes are not disappearing. Uh, you know, they're still occurring, and um, you know, to experience a reduction in the incidence of acute myocardial infarction or heart failure um, is a little befuddling, but but I think you know, like you said, I, I you, you know. It's just people are just uh, eating the advice of what is being told to them, you know, just to stay at home and physical distancing and um, or they're just scared of the infection. You know, they are going to get themselves exposed uh, when they visit hospitals with other illnesses, um, you know, to, to not be exposed uh, to the SARS, uh, the novel SARS coronavirus 2 infection. Um but important lessons again, you know, I think the 20 odd patients that you did with, with STEMI and, and you know, uh, thanks for sharing that experience with us because those patients, uh, from what I've understood from the conversation, did not have a good outcome. I think it would be crucial to understand the mechanisms um, of adverse outcomes in these patients. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Do, do you think, uh, Professor Seni, the, the infection is leading to instability in, in stable disease, a stable coronary disease or a plaque, because that's, that's been one of the theories, um, theories of inflammation around acute coronary syndrome. And 
that's been one of the theories, even with influenza, you know, like patients with concomitant influenza infection and acute coronary syndrome, you know, we've, I personally have looked at the data myself in one of the manuscripts, which is under review right now. Um, you know, but what, what do you, what do you think about, uh, this theory of uh, infection, inflammation and acute coronary syndrome? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I do believe that these mechanisms of inflammation play a major role in terms of the stabilization of the plaque. And we were grow up with this concept regarding the fact that during influenza epidemic, you can have you have an increased number of acute myocardial infarction stemming or no stemming. But uh, this is something that uh, is amazing in terms of how is the result of this pandemia in terms of reduction of the number of patients with acute coronary syndrome. And uh, as I say, there are possible, different possible explanations they scare the patient to come to emergency department, the difficulty to find out the, the ambulance, the, the, the fact that the patient has changed a little bit the style of the life, they stay more at home, they are less, less stressful in some sense, although this disease makes them more stressful for, their, for the fear. Uh, of getting uh, this disease, and uh, but uh, any, anyway, at the end, uh, what we see that clearly there is a reduction of this patient. And uh, what I forgot, I, I, and but I think it's really important that uh, what we are seeing now uh, that we have uh, an incredible number of uh, and thromboembolic pulmonary uh, embolism. And, and this is probably truly uh, related to the inflammation. And therefore, we are discussing which approach in terms of anticoagulation should be correct. Uh, and uh, this is something that we are facing in these hours. And uh, uh, another, so uh, this would could be in line with the, 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 the fact that we should expect more infection, but I don't know what we are seeing, but this is not only in our center. This is true also in other centers all over the Italy, not, uh, not only in this epicentric uh, uh, place, but also in other that are in the north of Italy and also in the, the south of Italy. So we are collecting this data to see why we are facing this uh, paradoxical epidemiology status that we don't know exactly why. Uh, but there are, as I say, different hypotheses, but it's really hard to understand clearly. Another aspect that I should, uh, uh, let's say, um, underline is the myocarditis. Uh, we have performed my center 20 autopsy and other center 21 
in general, uh, we didn't have uh, any patients that were uh, died that died in other departments, so in other COVID uh, uh, division. Uh, we, uh, they didn't find any sign of myocarditis at the histological assessment. And this is something that uh, is also interesting, I think. That's that's interesting. So you know, for for myocarditis, was the suspicion based on echocardiography or rise of troponin with normal arteries or? No, I, no, maybe I wasn't clear. I, I say that uh, in forty autopsies that were performed, with, uh, that they, in which the patient died without any uh, um, suspicion of myocarditis, we didn't find it at all. Today, unfortunately, one patient, a, a, a 33 years old, died, female, with a highly suspected myocarditis, because as all these clear symptoms, so this patient is going to be, uh, is going to have a, 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 a autopsy, and so we will see. And this is a clear, but we don't have so many. I see. So just, just for the clarification of the audience, even though it has been reported out of the Chinese experience, uh, in your experience, you did not see as much myocarditis with COVID-19 as as reported in, in other series published. Right. Good to know. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Um, what about uh, acute onset of heart failure um, as a manifestation of the infection or cardiomyopathy? Because... Uh, you know, some of the uh, critical care physicians and intensivists that I work with have voiced that concern. I mean, that obviously the experience is, is so new to us in the U.S. and we're obviously learning about, about it as we take care of these patients. But just, um, you know, having uh, the privilege of, uh, of having you on the show, I just wanted to ask you this question uh, of, you know, what you think about, um, you know, just acute onset heart failure from the infection itself. You know, uh, this is an interesting question because uh, this patient can be uh, <clears throat> misdiagnosed in terms of heart failure because they can have an increased uh, natriuretic peptides, not so high, but they can be treated. The symptoms and signs sometimes are difficult to understand. For sure, the, 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 the predominant symptom and sign are due to, uh, the, to respiratory failure. Uh, although, uh, in, the, in some of these, you can have uh, uh, a output syndrome to, due to uh, interpulmonary shunt, and this can be a cause of high uh, uh, output syndrome uh, congestion. And therefore, right now, I cannot answer clearly. For sure, a, diagno a differential diagnosis can be difficult. Uh, able because most of the time, the patient is managed by other physicians, by other specialists, and not cardiologists. And therefore, when you look at the chest X-ray, it's difficult to say is just a, a pulmonary uh, interstitial pulmonary pneumonia, or there is also a, a pulmonary congestion. Uh, this is a, an intriguing question, an intriguing uh, that so far probably is difficult to answer, but pro 
it, it must be uh, taught when you see the patient uh, to try to make diagnosis, differential diagnosis. Using maybe uh, the natriuretic peptide, higher level of natriuretic peptide should suggest you that this patient has both and can be. Yes. So, you know, when you when you are experiencing a pandemic like COVID-19, you know, obviously the uh, top differential is going to be COVID-19 pneumonia. But, but you know, like we discussed, other illnesses just don't disappear. They, they do happen. Um, was there uh, an uptick in utilization of right heart catheterization to make a diagnosis of acute decompensated heart failure without COVID when you were when you were experiencing this? Or uh, am I uh, is this an irrelevant question? Because just the sheer number of patients. Yeah, no, no. this is a, 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 a important question, and uh, we are doing this uh, right up catheterization, and there are different uh, there are different uh, hemodynamic uh, status in which you can have uh, different uh, hemodynamic parameter in terms of. Uh, Cardiac, cardiac index that can be increased, can be the same. For sure, we don't have, apart the patient that have honorary embolism, we don't have any patient with increased pulmonary pressure. So this is an important message. That is, uh, make the, a little bit these disease different from ARDS. And so, there are some certainty, and we have performed quite a number of patients with the right heart catheterization so far. But we are analyzing this data right now. Uh, you know, any um, any closing remarks, Professor Seni? Thanks again for being on the show and and your time. And you know, we obviously have learned a lot from your experience, and I'm sure we'll continue to learn a lot from your experience and. You know, I'm, I'm so glad, I'm, I'm sure everyone in the cardiovascular community is glad that, you know, you're healthy and, and safe and, um, you know, you, you recovered um, and you, you took the right steps, you know, making sure the swap was, was negative before you resumed work. So uh, we're very thankful and, and grateful that, that you're safe and healthy. Any closing remarks for, um, you know, your colleagues in the U.S. who are now going to experience Unfortunately, what, what seems to be a tsunami of cases, I mean, it's already started happening in New York. I'm sure it's going to happen uh, in, in other cities in the U.S. Any, um, any words of wisdom for us? Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say that the most important message for is uh, to be very aggressive with the prevention of the infection in healthcare uh, personnel. This is the most important message because this is not a battle of one day, one month. It probably will be a long battle. So you must protect yourself, your colleagues, because otherwise, after one month, you will, we, you will be alone to, to fight this battle. So this is something that you need, you must require to your administration to have enough PPE for everybody, for all the professionals, 
for protecting yourself, for uh, reducing the risk that uh, you can lose COVID during the time, and also because you can be uh, the vector for infection for the patient and for the other one. Probably right now, this is the most important. And they, they, the administration or the other people, they don't understand how much is important this. So another message regarding this aspect of prevention for the infection of the colleagues is also to, perform, to require the swab just with mild fever and mild symptoms because otherwise it's too late. Um, yes, and just um, before I let you go, any um, any prophylactic measures, uh, you know, any uh, any pharmacological prophylaxis that was administered to providers in, in Italy? Uh, unfortunately, no. I don't think, you know, vitamin C can be, I don't know, probably one gram of vitamin C. But another point, yeah, more than uh, therapy, we should use to take rest. You need, because if you work too hard after some days or after two weeks, three weeks, the risk of getting the disease is much higher. I, I couldn't agree more. So just uh, common sense, you know, take care of hygiene, take care of sleep, uh, you know, take rest, protect yourself, protect your colleagues and um, be advocates for yourself. Professor Sunny, thank, thank you again so much for being on the show and um, I wish you health. I wish you luck. And, um, you know, I hope um, Italy now starts to see flattening of the curve because um, you clearly have been severely affected. But thanks again. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Dear cardiologists, we want to make this podcast about you and for you. So please email us your critical thoughts, comments and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram at Radcliffe Cardiology for daily updates. Join thousands of cardiologists and become a Radcliffian by registering to radcliffecardiology.com. You will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases, and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure, and vascular and endovascular surgery. Thank you.